Welcome to GDN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome talented writer and podcaster Matt Wilson. Matt has just launched a Zoop campaign for his new series, The Imposter Syndicate, with artist Rodrigo Vargas. Now, here's your host, Martin Sexton. Welcome to another edition of GVN's Talking Comics Interview. I am your host, Martin, and today's show, we welcome writer and podcast host, Matt Wilson. Matt is the co-host for numerous podcasts centered around comics and pulp pop culture, so of course he'll be a favorite of ours, including War Rocket Ajax and Movie Fighters, both with Chris Sims. We're going to talk to Matt about his beginnings, his uh, podcast uh, career, and his writing efforts, as well as his new Zoop campaign. So uh, let's welcome Matt Wilson to GVN's Talking Comics interview. So how are we doing today, Matt? Doing great. I hope you're doing okay, Martin. I'm doing fine. Appreciate it. All right. So because as, as I said, this is our first chance to have an opportunity to talk. I'll get into a little bit about your background. Okay. So when did you first take an interest in writing and, and whose work might have inspired you to uh, pursue that? I've kind of wanted to be a writer pretty much my whole life. Definitely since I was a little kid. I, I think what really cemented be wanting to write comics was the comics coming out right after like in the late nineties. So it would have been like right after heroes reborn. I remember being really inspired by the heroes return books. Uh, so Kurt Busiek, Mark Wade, uh, those, those were two of the big ones for me as far as like writers, I first started paying attention to the credits and knowing their names and uh, Grant Morrison came a little later, but I was a huge fan of theirs around that time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really just like a lot of comics in the late nineties that made me say writing comics is a job I can do. And I would like to do that. So those were the big ones, I think. No, I say, I mean, well, usually I always find it funny when I talk to comic writers at one point in time or another, they wanted to be a comic artist. Did you ever have that kind of ambition or was it basically writing all the time? Maybe when I was a little kid, because I used to draw a lot as a little kid. In fact, the thing I drew the most in like elementary school was the Joker falling off the building from the end of Batman 1989. Mm -hmm. And I drew it so much that I, it, at a teacher, like a parent teacher conference, I had a teacher tell my parents, he's drawing this too much. He he should draw something else. Uh, but I, I learned pretty quickly that I didn't have the kind of natural talent that I thought I needed to proceed as a comics artist. I, you know, I, I'm sure I could have trained a lot and gotten that skill, but I just never did. So for me, it's always kind of been writing first, um, which makes things a little tougher if because you can't produce a comic all by yourself, um, which is why it's taken me such a long time sometimes to get projects off the ground. Well, yeah, I understand that. Of course, now, when when you were a kid, where did where'd you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in a town called Shelby, North Carolina, that I think is most famous for two barbecue restaurants, which I think are the main reasons to go there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my mom still lives there. I uh, visit there still 
pretty regularly. Uh, but yeah, that's where I grew up. Yeah, so the reason I asked that is because you know when I was a kid, I was much in. The, I just knew I was going to be working for Marvel or DC someday, drawing comics. <laughs> but I was living in South Haven, Michigan at the time, and the connections anywhere in there to do that was were not there. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is, I say, actually, this doing this is the closest I've, I've come to dealing with comics. Okay, so I mentioned that you you know you do a number of podcasts, uh, including War Rocket Ajax and, and Movie Five, like I said, both with Chris Sims. Oh, when you. Uh, first started doing podcasts did you have any kind of trepidation about doing them at all i know i still get nervous even now talk like talking to you yeah if if you go back and listen to my first few episodes co-hosting war rocket ajax because i was the replacement co-host of war rocket ajax back in 2010 i think is when i started doing that um the original co-host was Eugene on who was great at it and really knew what he was doing and had some podcasting experience. And when Eugene decided he couldn't do the show anymore because his rap career was taken off, he's a great rapper. Uh, Adam Warrock is his rap name. Uh, but when I had made some occasional appearances on war rocket Ajax, when Eugene hosted, but it's kind of just like, third chair pal who there wasn't a ton of responsibility. So I was a little more comfortable on those, but when I took over as co-host, if you listen to those first few episodes, I sound like I'm, I'm worried I'm about to get shot. I, 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 I really, you can hear the nervousness in my voice. And there was definitely a time where I was kind of like, what have I gotten myself into? Cause I said, I would host co-host and produce the show, which I still do. And there's a lot of work in that that took twice as long back then. So I really had to work my way up to being comfortable doing the show. Now it's like any other job. I, I have no problem. Do Every once in a while, we'll get a guest where I feel maybe a, a hint of nervousness because they have, you know, a big name or something like that. But generally now I'm, I'm pretty comfortable finally <laughs> so did you know chris before you took on the chair i mean before then yeah chris and i've been friends for a long time we uh we both were trying to do the online comedy writing of the early to mid 2000s so i but before i in addition to wanting to write comics i've always wanted to write kind of comedy um comedy essays i read steve martin's book pure drivel when i was a teenager and i said i'd like to write like that i, I want to write those kinds of things and those were all his kind of like new yorker essays collected right and i i really got into writing comedy essays so i started submitting when i was college age comedy essays to different websites online and got some of them published i ended up with a couple of things on um, National Lampoon's website. And then eventually I made my way to write for Cracked. And Cracked then was not exactly what Cracked is now. You know, the kind of informational listicles. It was more just comedy. So there was a very short period. I think it only lasted four print issues where Cracked had a print magazine again around 2006 mm -hmm. and I was a, I wrote for the print magazine then. 
And Chris and I met when we were both writing for Cracked. Um, I would I was writing kind of more general comedy pieces, and Chris was writing some uh, cultural criticism sorts of things for it. And yeah, we we sort of just like became pals from there because we both had blogs at the time, and um, so yeah, we've been we were friends for several years before we started podcast podcasting together, and. Now we've been podcasting together for 12 years, 13 years. So uh, we've known each other for a long time. Well, I say what you said, because it comes through when you listen to the podcast, you, you, that there's a, a chemistry there that you're very comfortable. It can pretty much, uh, uh, you know, talk without worrying about talking over somebody, which in my case is something I, I try to strive not to do. And but <laughs> on the other end of it, I end up like being silent, which doesn't do me any good either. Okay, so we talked about your books. Like I said, uh, you, your super villain book, your super villain handbook. And I said, I told you before we came on that I listened to the audio book today uh, in preparation for this. And I'm, like I said, I can't believe I missed this book because number one, I say it was hilarious, but I was really impressed with uh, the late Richard Allen, who did the narration for it. Uh, now, when you wrote this book and you knew you were going to do an audio book for it, did you have a certain sound in your in your head of what you thought it should sound like? Because I can't really imagine anyone doing it better than Richard did. Actually, I, I didn't play much of a role in the creation of the audio book. That was more, I think, Audible and the publisher, which is uh, Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, ended up hiring like, Richard to do the audiobook, and p- boy, they really picked right. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, in my in my head, because it is you know a humor book, and all right. of those, all three of those supervillain books are humor books. Um, in my head, it was kind of like a little sillier or or over the top, and I ended up listening to the audiobook and the way. Richard Allen read it was kind of like fully invested and totally straight. And that ended up being funnier. Uh, So I, I was, I was pleased uh, for sure by, by the way that turned out. I, I'm, I'm kind of almost surprised that the, you know, if nothing else, you, like they went and say, Richard, you need to talk to the authors just to get an idea of you know the inflections involved in it. So I guess they just kind of let him do whatever he was going to do from your written word. Uh, you know, cause I've talked to other authors who had audiobooks, and and they usually yeah. have some sort of uh, input of what they think this particular character might sound like, or something like that. But like uh, uh, I say, I can't argue with the success of it because it was great. Uh, one of the segments in the book was the uh, continuous segment talking about lame supervillains, uh, and I thought that was great. And, but I noticed almost all of them were either Batman's or Spider-Man's villains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so was that something you had to research going into, or is that just a coincidence that they had their main two uh, sets of very lame villains? I guess that was me kind of showing my uh, reading experience because Batman and Spider Man are Spider Man's my number one, and Batman's probably my number two. Uh, th- there are a couple of Superman villains in there, I think. Yep. Because um, I I also read a bunch of Superman when I was a kid. Uh, but I think more than anything, that was just, that's the stuff I had read. And those are the characters I remembered. Uh, I'll never forget typeface for my whole life. <laughs> so. Yep. Okay. So, <laughs> so 
I th- of course, I thought any you know milk toast villain who decided they wanted to take on Superman was an idiot anyway. But yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> right. Okay. So, but speaking of villains and superheroes, you got a new project coming up with Zoop. Uh, uh, with is the imposter syndrome, uh, along with artist Rodrigo Vargas. If you want to tell our listeners a little bit about the book, I know you say this has like been a, tw- a twenty years in the making type of thing. Yeah. So I had this idea when I was college age. I've I was trying a lot of different things at that time, uh, but it wasn't called imposter syndicate then. It, it's it's definitely evolved over time. But the the basic idea has always been essentially the same, which is if you watch superhero cartoons or you read superhero comic books or watch superhero movies, well, movies are not quite so much, but but the stories where they have to go on forever. You see these scenes where supervillains seem to die or at least get grievously injured. And then a year later, a few episodes later, that villain is back. And with no real explanation as to how they survived the accident that they seemingly died in. And I always thought, what if that person who came back wasn't the same person? Uh, It was a replacement. It was it was an imposter. It was an actor who's been hired to take their place. So the the basic idea of imposter syndicate is there's this kind of shadowy organization that is hiring people to replace supervillains who have died or retired or got so hurt that they couldn't keep doing the job to take their places. And they'll adopt the previous person's name for all intents and purposes they're the last guy or woman to do the job but they're now the new actor who's been hired to take that role and it sort of makes superheroes and supervillains into a business proposition there's someone who wants superheroes and supervillains to keep fighting forever uh, because it's profitable so that's the idea. Uh, so there's the lead character of the book. Uh, his name is John. He's this struggling actor who's having a terrible time finding work. And he gets a phone call and gets an offer that he can't turn down. Uh, too many zeros on the check. So, uh, and actually, said you when you, and as I was reading through the premise, I said, and as you said, it makes actually more sense to me and now how that would work out as far as the comic book villain always coming back after so long uh, yeah. Uh, is that, yeah, you just keep replacing the guy. Uh, so under that concept, as you say, would the hero also work that way? Would there be somebody replacing the hero when they're using their case? Like I said, depending on who you're talking about, either they may just, just decide they're just tired of doing the gig. You know, that's something the book can explore later uh, in, in the first two issues that are out now or are, not out now, but are on Zoop now. <laughs> uh, the in the first two issues, we just explore the villain side of it. Really, the, the superheroes that they fight, you know, show up and and fight them or, or get involved in the villain's business. But but we're only really seeing the supervillain side at this point. But I'm sure later on in the series, if I'm lucky enough to be able to make more issues, um, the superhero side of it is something we'll examine too. You know, whether they're kind of on the business side of things too, or, or 
more genuine or some mix of the two. Um, it's something I've thought about for sure as, as something to look at in the book, but uh, we haven't gotten to that answer quite yet. Right. Okay. So like I said, you're, you're going to, you're working with uh, artist Rodrigo Vargas on this. Uh, how did that co collaboration come together? The, the way so many of my kind of creative partnerships have happened or, or artist friends that I've met through, through War Rocket Ajax, uh, Rodrigo lives in Chile and out of the blue a few years ago, he emailed me and said, I'm an artist. I live in Chile. I, I like the show. The show is fun to listen to. And I, I want to get more of my work out there. So if there's anything you have, you would want me to draw. Um, cause, cause we've done like, you know, exclusive artist prints for listeners. We put out a t-shirt for our Patreon supporters every year. So we commissioned some art for the show every now and again. And he, he essentially just said, if there's anything you want to work with me on, let me know. And I said, you bet there is. And, uh, <laughs> and at the time I wanted to get out the five issue miniseries that I had been working on for a while. Everything will be okay. Uh, and he, we worked on that together. He drew that it's gorgeous. I love his art on that book. And, uh, he said he would work on this one too. And I feel like the art on imposter syndicate is, is leveled up even more. It's incredibly kinetic. It's so vibrant and Rodrigo is adding in jokes to the, that I don't even have in the script to the <laughs> art. So he, he gets it. He knows exactly what to do. Okay. So and talking about that, like I said, because I've talked to numerous, you know, writers and artists and they all have different ways of working together uh you know some of them they just are writer gives the artist a script and said go have at it sometimes mm -hmm. you know they're very collaborative uh where exactly did it fit between uh you and rodrigo as far as working together i try to be as collaborative as i can and i think we we are pretty collaborative um i i sort of lean toward the side of not putting too many details in the script. I, I know some artists want that. They want kind of everything laid out for them. But a lot of artists feel like too much description, too many instructions is very limiting for them. And I don't want to do that. I, I want to give them a level, you know, as much creative control as they want. So my scripts are usually just kind of here's what I want to happen. Here's, here's how we progress the story. You can sort of tell that however you want. So I'll say like, here's what a character needs to be doing. Here's what they're saying. And we need to see these things in the panel. And however Rodrigo or whatever artist I'm working with wants to present that they can do that. And if they have a question or if they want more detail or they want to know, you know, what kind of shot were you envisioning here? I I have answers to all those questions <laughs> because I'm, I'm picturing it in my head while I'm writing it the whole time, but I don't want to give too much away or say too much as a way of limiting or shackling what an artist, you know, their creative process. Right. So 
I, I try to kind of meet that middle ground as best I can. So do you think it helped the fact that you had you had worked with Rodrigo on the previous book where kind of established kind of your working relationship? So uh you know made it a little easier for both for him and you. I think that always helps. Um, because when when you think about a script for a comic book, I, I it's it's very different animal for the manuscript for a book or the script for a movie or something like that, where it's kind of like a finished document. It's sort of more like the, the book for a play um, or, you know, something that's going to be presented on stage where the director is going to take that and interpret it and change it and maybe even work with the writer on it. It's, it's, more of a conversation than a document. And that's the way I always think about comic book scripts as being conver- conversational. Um, and Rodrigo and I have built up that rapport. So, you know, he, it's fine for, he knows that it's fine for him to message me at any time and say, what if I added an extra panel to this page? What if I took a panel out? What, would it work if I added in this detail or did this thing? And, uh, and so, so, yeah, I mean, the, clearly the more you work with someone, the more you kind of develop that communication. And I think that's a great thing because communication is so important to the creative process of comics more than so many other creative media. Right. And that, that does seem to be the common denominator between most, you know, artist and writer is is that communication aspect of it. Okay, so I said, you know, you're working with the good folks at Zoop for this campaign. Uh, how did you get connected to Zoop? And uh, what advantages uh, do you see in uh, using them for your crowdfunding? I was kind of made aware of Zoop right from the start when they launched. Um, I don't quite remember what it was that caught my attention. I, it may have been someone I know promoting a project there. Um, but I was pretty connected to Zoop right from the beginning. I, maybe they followed me on Twitter or something like that. Mm-hmm. I really don't remember, but I've, I've had an awareness of them for a while and I've known that's where I want to do my next comics crowdfunding project because not to rag on Kickstarter, but I've done a couple of Kickstarters and when you do a Kickstarter, you really are kind of on your own. Right. You, you, I, my last Kickstarter for everything will be okay. was, you know, Rod, I hired, hired Rodrigo to do art. I had a colorist and a letterer. And then I had every other job, writer, editor, shipping clerk, warehouse manager, uh, customer service, <laughs> everything you can think of. And it got to be, you know, a lot to, to deal with. And as it turned out, you know, my budgeting wasn't exactly what I anticipated. And I spent a little money out of pocket to ship some books in the end. And I wanted to avoid that as much as I can. And I think one of the most appealing things about Zoop is they have different levels of how much they will help you with your projects. So um, there's a level where 
you know, they're going to handle the printing and shipping parts of it. And uh, that is a huge relief to me <laughs> uh, because it's hard enough to do all the other jobs on a creative project. So um, I, th that was ultimately the, the big appeal to Zoop. And, and likewise, you know, hosting, co-hosting War Rocket Ajax, we've had on quite a few guests who have done Zoop projects uh, that have been really successful. And uh, I've had opportunity to kind of get eyes on those things and, and watch them as they happened. And uh, I, th I thought it all seemed really uh, valuable and worthwhile. So uh, they just seemed like the right way to go. And that's always been uh, everyone I've ever talked to who you know, was dealt with Zoop. That's what the main thing they always said is that they take some all that you know, you know some of the the burden off of the creator. So right, they don't have yeah. to deal with the shipping and all this stuff. So they can just worry about creating, which is you know yeah. job number one for you. Yeah, uh, and that's that's ultimately what I want to do. I all the other stuff is just a means to be able to make the you know the the art that I ultimately want to make. And of course, what Zoop means to me is that I lose some more money and funding another book. But that's, uh, <laughs> uh, that's between me and my wife. Okay, so uh, so when fans, okay, when your campaign, I don't believe your campaign, your campaign hasn't started quite yet, has it? Uh, the the date I'm fairly certain is is March 14th. March 14th. Uh, okay, yeah, so, so it's coming. So it's coming up. Okay, so when fans go to see your campaign, uh, what will they find there besides? Uh, I think you're doing issues one and two, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So what will they find there besides two entertaining books? Do you have any uh, extra stuff planned uh, for the campaign? For sure. Uh, so there's going to be print versions of issues one and two, and digital versions. Uh, so if people only want digital, they can go that way. Or if they want to get it in print, we're going to put both issues together in a single kind of trade paperback book. Uh, we're going to have an alternate cover drawn by Erica Henderson, who uh, is a, a good friend and co-hosts Friends Till the End with me uh, and uh, one of my favorite artists ever. So I'm I'm stoked she found time to make that happen. <laughs> um, we've got commissions that Rodrigo will do. Uh, a handful so people better get on those quick yeah uh, not not a, a ton to have um, there's the opportunity to get you know bundles of other books uh, including um, the most recent installment of the supervillain handbook series which was called supreme villainy which was the autobiography of king oblivion phd uh, and there's also, you can get copies of Everything Will Be Okay and other stuff uh, like that. There's also, this is the coolest one for me. Uh, there's a tier where you can actually get drawn into uh, Imposter Syndicate as someone in the background of a panel or, you know, uh, a, a kind of extra in the book. Uh, send us a picture and, and Rodrigo will draw you in. So uh, cool. some cool stuff over there. Excellent. Okay, so uh, if this campaign is, when this campaign is successful, let's be positive here. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, how many more issues do you uh, have planned? I I have plots for six. Uh, so I know how much is going to happen up to there. And then uh, I 
am relatively sure that one of the big reveals, one of the kind of major moments happens in issue 12 where, you know, the mask comes off for uh, the, the shadowy employer that is hiring these supervillains. So I, I've got ideas to go for, for quite a while. Um, but, you know, I, I, I hope that those can get made eventually uh, in some capacity through some uh, through a publisher or, or we continue to crowdfund potentially. Uh, so, so there are plans for sure. Excellent. All right. Okay. So well, that's what I got for you, Matt. And I do thank you for your time. But before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to promote any anything else that you may have going, but you may be just concentrating mainly on your campaign. Uh, and where can fans go to listen to you on your podcast? Uh, sure. So you can basically find links to everything I'm doing at the website, mattdwilson.net. Uh, if you go there, it's it's got... It'll take you to a Tumblr page that has links to all of my social media accounts where I'm mostly either Matt D. Wilson or the Matt D. Wilson, all of my podcasts, uh, War Rocket Ajax, Movie Fighters, Friends Till the End. Uh, you can also just search for those on uh, whatever podcasting app it is that you listen to podcasts on and you can find all three of them there. Uh, but if you need an update or want to know about anything I'm doing, mattdwilson.net is pretty much the place to get it all uh i i try to keep everything there and everything updated all right well i appreciate it Matt. and we're going to be following the imposter syndicate very closely and hopefully get to talk to you again here in the future thanks martin really appreciate all right. it all right thank you thank you for listening to gvn's talking comics please come back again Talking Comics is a production of Geek Vibes Nation.